Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Velmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Ronnie Robinson about the importance of return to learn after a brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. Today, my guest is Ronnie Robinson, and Ronnie is a pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. She works with the Division of Orthopedic Surgery, Center for Sports Medicine, and Performance Center, and the Trauma Program. Ronnie completed her undergraduate studies at the University of Delaware, where she received her BSN in nursing. She completed her graduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, where she received her MSN in the Pediatric and Acute Chronic Nurse Practitioner Program. Ronnie's research and clinic interests are in pediatric and adolescent concussion. She has published material in peer-reviewed journals and has lectured extensively about concussion in children and adolescents and helped develop the program Concussion Care for Kids, Mind Matters. So welcome to the podcast, Ronnie. I am so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. It is such a pleasure to be on the podcast with you today. I feel so grateful that I'm able to be here and share the information that we have in our program. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm so excited. Return to Learn is such an important topic, and I, you know, I feel like it hasn't been covered as much as it as it needs to be. And I'm so thrilled I was able to meet you in Philly at the Mind Your Brain conference. And then we saw each other again in Washington, D.C. Um, so I'm just so happy to have you here. And, um, you know, I think maybe if we just start with having you give us a little bit of your background and how you came to be involved um, with the concussion program at, in Philadelphia. Sure, great. Well, so first of all, I just wanted to say you do such a great job with all of your advocacy. Um, you are just paving the way for um, people that have brain injuries. So I applaud you for all the excellent work that you're doing. So well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for all of our patients. So I think for me, I mean, I've been a nurse now, a pediatric nurse for um, just over 20 years, um, and I really fell in love with nursing, um, you know, as a student and then as a new nurse. And um, probably, I've well, I've always worked in the field of trauma and brain injury, and about... 
10 years ago, I was um, given the opportunity to work with our concussion patients and really work on building our concussion program at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So that's how I really got into it. And I think that for me, um, one of the things that I love about taking care of kids is that I really get to empower parents to be able to take care of their own kids. And that, I think, is such a powerful thing that um, I'm lucky enough to get to do. And I really love concussion. It's such an interesting field. It's, as you know, growing every single day. We learn more and more about concussion, and that way we can help more people. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think concussion is so misunderstood and you know it's getting better there's more awareness however I still think it's grossly misunderstood and you know when I speak at say like a rotary or a chamber where it's more lay people um, opposed to professionals or survivors I always really like to stress on them that a concussion is a brain injury Um, it's a mild traumatic brain injury and not to let the mild (laughs) fool you um, like as we're aware in my case um, I was told you know oh you just have a concussion you should be better in four to six weeks and you know, here I am four years later. Um, So, you know, I really like to stress that a concussion is something to take seriously. And unfortunately, I hear so many stories of parents who recently I had a friend, her son fell and landed on the cement um, from, from from a fence and he was unconscious and they rushed him to the ER and by then he was conscious and they told him, he should be fine. No big deal. Go see your general practitioner tomorrow. And the GP told her, oh, he's fine. He doesn't have a concussion. He's fine. And it's so frustrating because, you know, the kid's like three. So what happens four years from now when he's in school and he's having difficulties and they don't make that connection that he'd had a concussion? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. The thing is, is that when someone has a brain injury, if they bump their head, if they lose consciousness, even if they don't lose consciousness, I mean, right now, there is no one smart enough in the world that can tell us how severe that brain injury is. You know, we can't look at that that child and um, know exactly how this is going to be. So I think that when um, I talk to parents about their child's concussion, I actually just say this is a brain injury. I don't even use the word mild. I say this is a brain injury that you're child has. Um, and, um, and so we don't know how mild or severe this injury is going to be and that no one can look at your child on day one when you're in the emergency department and say, this is just a mild injury. It's just, it's misleading to parents, but it happens every day. And what I tell parents is that the word mild really only for, refers to the mechanism of injury. And it's a little bit of semantics because their symptoms may be mild on presentation to the emergency department you know, in a broad spectrum of things. But however, you just have no idea how mild or severe it's going to be until it's all said and done. And then we can have the conversation about how mild or severe that brain injury is. Right. But I think that it's definitely something that happens everywhere in, in emergency departments and pediatrician offices a lot. And, again, it's just because there's so much information that's coming out about concussion. And, we're, as I said before, I mean, we're learning about it every day. But there's still a lot that we don't know, as you well know, that we're just trying to provide the best care that we can. Yes. And, 
and you're so right. You know, nobody has the crystal ball that can tell us, um, you know, each, each concussion presents differently, you know, and each brain injury is different, each recovery is different, the symptoms are different. And that's what makes it so challenging as a practitioner. Um, but, you know, it, it's people like you who take the time to really help parents understand, um, you know, like, okay, the emergency department, he might not have been presenting with these symptoms and symptoms can take days or weeks to present. And so I think that's mm-hmm. what's so critical um, to help parents understand what to watch for. Agreed. Without a doubt. I always explain to parents that concussion or brain injury is an evolving injury. That means that symptoms can get worse before they get better. And that does not mean that someone needs to have a CAT scan or an MRI. It means that we need to figure out how to manage the symptoms and um, and then go from there. And so that's a lot of what my job is, I feel, is really coaching and providing guidance to families about how to get their child on the right path again to recovery. So in your program, um, how do you help kids so, you know, obviously our topic today is return to learn. And mm-hmm. I think often when people hear return to learn, um, they think of athletes. You know, we've got return to play, <laughs> right? Um, and so they think of athletes. And it's like, no, return to learn just means getting kids back to school, figuring out if they need accommodations, helping them acclimate back to school. Um, and, you know, the concussion, the brain injury, that can happen at home. It doesn't have to happen in a sports or school environment. So maybe walk Absolutely. us through, um, you know, I, I just threw out a whole, kind of a whole series of, of they weren't questions, <laughs> but <laughs> a whole series sure. of things that you can talk about there, bullet points, that's the word. Um, so, yeah, walk us through what I just kind of talked about. Sure. So um, so I will throw out there that um, we provide, um, it re- well, it, we provide different recommendations based on the age of the child, how long they've been out from their injury, and how severe their symptoms are and their physical exam is at the current time. So, you know, in general, um, what we, how we guide um, our patients is that um, we explain that return to learn and return to school certainly comes before return to play. And I do agree with you, Amy, yes. that a lot of people think, oh, um, you know, yes, we have return. A lot of parents think we have return to um, learn laws in our state, but really we have return to play laws in all 50 states, yes. but we just don't have yes. them return to learn laws. And I'm not so certain we certain we actually need legislation or laws in regards to return to school. I think what we really need is just better resources and better education for not only the academic staff, but also the medical staff as well. And so our um, guidance and what we say is that initially after concussion, it's really important to rest for a couple days depending on the number of days, really depends on the child and how severe their symptoms are. And then slowly we get them back to school really in kind of two phases. And our first recommendation is for return to school, where the child, the student is acclimating back to the busy school environment, the loud noises, the bright lights, all their friends asking them where they've been, how are they feeling. And really we tell them all we want you to do is just sit there and listen. You don't have to take notes. You don't have to take tests. You don't have to do homework. We just want you to sit and listen in the classroom. Try and absorb what you can. We know that when they go back to school they will have symptoms, and that is okay. 
what we try and do is educate the student about how to manage their symptoms. And so um, we have this kind of two-point rule that we follow, that we have our patients follow, where we say that your symptoms can get about two points worse where they started. So if it happens to be a headache that they're having, and not all patients have headaches but that get concussions, but most do, then we say if your headache starts at a 5 out of a 10, then why don't you stay in class, even if you're just listening, until you get to be about a 7 out of a 10. Then we want you to take a break in a quiet area. It could be a library. It could be the guidance office. Um, some schools don't have school nurses. We're aware of that. And then they take a break in this quiet area, um, and they rest until their symptoms get back to, down, to that baseline number, which is the 5 in this example, and then they get back to class. They don't have to lay down. They don't have to go to sleep. They don't have to sit in a dark room. They just need to change their environment, change the stimulus that's going on, and allow their symptoms to rest. So we don't want to see big spikes in symptoms. We just want to see a little bit worse and then take a break, a little bit worse and then take a break. And that's building their stamina. And once they actually um, start to tolerate just being in school and being in that busy environment, then we talk about returning to learn and actually starting to do some cognitive work, maybe doing a little bit of work in school, maybe doing a little bit of homework outside of school, and gradually increasing their academic load based on how well they can actually tolerate that, the, the academic work that's given to them. So, Ronnie, I want to take a step back and you said how you want to just get them back into school. They don't have to take tests. They don't have to take notes. Um, Pennsylvania and Minnesota are both really good school states with <laughs> academic accommodations. Um, as we know, not all states um, have good academic accommodations. And that's where I disagree with you and think we do need some legislation. Um, but how would a parent handle a school um, that says, you know, well, we can't let your kid not take tests. That's cheating. Um, how does one combat that? So I, that's a tough question for schools that aren't used to taking care of concussions. So I think that it is definitely um, challenging. I think, um, you know, there are resources out there on the Internet. I mean, we actually have a wonderful website that is chop.edu slash concussion. And there are um, academic um, recommendations and adjustments that are on our website that um, school officials and parents can look at and make some suggestions for. I mean, we initially uh, recommend that there's some type of academic adjustments that the student can be supplied with where um, they can have the ability to flex up or flex down depending in the volume of work that they do based on how the student's feeling. And ideally, in a school environment, um, this teacher should be able to flexibly and fluidly add or take away work as needed based on how the student's doing. I know that's an ideal situation. It does not happen right. all the time, especially when you're in um, a classroom where there's one teacher and 22 kids. Um, but that is the ideal um, that is the ideal environment that we'd like to be. So I think it's having a face, the parents need to have a face-to-face -face conversation with the guidance team and possibly some of the teachers as well, where they're talking to guidance at the school, letting them understand about um, what happened with the child so that they know. I mean, ideally, the, the school knows the child the best. You know, they're seeing the right. teachers and the academic staff more than they're seeing their, their primary care physicians. You know, hopefully that patient, that student, saw some type of healthcare provider 
that has experience with taking care of students that have brain injuries and concussions, and they can provide some recommendations for initial, temporary, or informal academic adjustments. So that's where you have to start first. And, and you're right. I mean, I am very lucky that I work in Pennsylvania where we have Brain Steps, which is the school reentry yeah. program here. And they have a website that they um, provide a, a multitude of guidance and recommendations for transitioning kids back to school. But all that information is also free for anybody in the world can pull information off of their site and use that and use it as a resource, which is wonderful for the students um, that are going back to school that don't have the resources locally for them. And do you know their website? Is it brainsteps.org maybe? .net. Nope, nope, it's .net. Yep, it's brainsteps.net. And then yours was chop, as Our, in like karate chop, .edu <laughs> slash concussion. Yes, it's chop.edu slash concussion. Awesome. Those are valuable. I will try to get those into the show notes, too, so everyone can just click on those. Those are very valuable sites um, for any parent or a clinician even, you know, that, that needs um, some guidance. Because, you know, like I shared the story of Reka in Illinois, who was an honor student and now is not graduating with her class. And like, that just shouldn't happen. Um, you know, like you said, a teacher should know the students best. And, you know, if they're struggling that hard to pass a test, you know, um, you would like to think that the teacher would catch on to that and um, offer some accommodations. But uh, unfortunately, Absolutely. it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. And so ideas for people that are listening out there are, you know, once the, we want to our patients to test. We want our students to take tests because that is how they build their stamina. But what we also recommend is that maybe they're not testing for academic reasons, but they're actually testing for rehab purposes so that they might take um, a test and instead of having 20 questions like the rest of the students, they only have five questions or 10 questions. And the questions are focused on the core concepts that are the um, foundational yeah. material that they really need in order to um, get through that material that's in that particular class. And so by giving students the option and, you know, the, the task of actually taking a test, that helps them get better. So it's not like we never want kids to test or we never want kids to do work, but we want kids to do it in a way that they can tolerate it and build their stamina. So doing a little bit of work and then taking a break and doing a little bit of work and taking a break. And so that is the, the guidance that we give to our um, patients and our students that we see. And I've also heard, um, oh, I can't remember the, the phrase that they used, but that a student just needs to be able to communicate that they understand the material. So they might not be able to take a written test, for instance, like maybe it's an essay exam. Um, so therefore, the teacher might allow them to just audibly answer the test. Um, is that Agreed. also something you've heard of? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we have so many uh, academic adjustments um, that we provide to our patients. And really, our whole goal is to evaluate the patient, talk to them about what are their issues in school. Is it that they have poor memory? Is that they have a, do they have a hard time reading? Um, do, you know, you know, what else is going on with them co from a cognitive 
perspective that's a barrier for them to be successful in school, and then we try and provide the appropriate academic adjustments for them. So we will offer options for the schools such as open book tests or take-home tests or perhaps provide a word bank so that the student doesn't have to uh, memorize every single concept, that they actually have like a bank that they can go to to kind of spark their memory or prompt them. Um, students can do verbal testing. They can have the test read to them. So again, trying to focus on essential work that they have to complete in order to pass that academic year or that course, um, but at the same time making sure that we don't compromise the integrity of the academic process by making sure that the student is really just focusing on those core foundational concepts that they need for that class. So it's a balance, and it's a difficult balance, and you know, schools around here are getting really good at that, but every school is very different. Right. And and also, um, uh, you know, like they might need a little bit longer time to complete the test, even if they're only getting five instead of 20 questions, they might need extra time or they might need just a dark, quiet room. Because I know for me, um, I might be able to take the test, but if I'm in the room with 20 other kids and there's lights and I can hear all the, you know, the pencils on the paper, um, I might struggle with the overstimulation. So allowing Absolutely. them to possibly, you know, be able to take it in a quiet room um, with the lights dimmed down, um, you know, that's a reasonable request. Absolutely. And those, those are also things that we offer. And I think sometimes, you know, our job is to provide all these options for the student and then the student and the, the academic team can provide the best environment that they know that works best in their school and for that student. And that's what we try and do is that we really try and partner with our schools and the academic teams at the schools so that our letters are meant to be a conversation with them, that um, this is what's going on with the, child, with the student and how can we support them to make them feel academically successful. You know, we don't want them to feel like they're failing at every single class. Yeah. So I think it's part of our job to not only, um, you know, give the student opportunities to feel successful, but also make sure, and this is one of the most important things, that the student understands the expectations when they go back to school. So yeah. many students are so terrified to go back to school I because know. Um, they have no idea what to expect. They think they're going to go back, they're going to have to take every test, every single yeah. assignment, and they're not going to be able to tolerate it. And then that puts, you know, such fear in them that then they just don't want to be in school. And then they, they get school avoidance, they shut down, they start to have mood issues. And so um, one of the things that we also um, – talk about in our notes is making sure that the student and the family understand the expectations when they return to school. So it's all laid out on the table. You know, you're going to have to do this assignment. You're not going to have to do this assignment. You know, sometimes we find that when, when teachers are on the other end and they say, oh, just do whatever you can, that sometimes makes it worse for students because they feel yes. like they have to do everything. So, you know, or, or they concrete. don't know how, yes, the concreteness. Like if you, if you just said do whatever you can, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like you do, yes. you need to give them steps or bullets. Like you can't just, yeah, I, I agree because I know early on, if you would have given me an open-ended decision, I wouldn't have had any, like it would have been too overwhelming. Um, I would have shut down. And I, yes, I totally I agree with agree. you. You know, we need to set these kids up for success opposed to just letting them fail and, you know, letting them feel like a sense of purpose and that they are learning um, and, and helping them as best we can to just succeed in school um, 
without that overstimulation. I know um, I've heard of kids who during lunch period, um, they actually go sit in a classroom, a quiet classroom, and they can bring a friend or two with them, um, but not having to sit in the really loud, noisy, brightly lit lunchroom, um, because that just can just drain your energy bank. And now you go to the next class after lunch, and you have no more energy left, and you can't focus. So, you know, there's just, there's little things that we could do to try to help kids um, best manage their energy reserves. And I know some kids can't handle going back full time either, correct? Some kids have to do like half days. It's true. I mean, again, every kid's different. I will tell you that I am a huge advocate for getting kids back to full days of school most of the time. And the way that I coach them and keeping them keeping them there for full days is taking those short, frequent breaks. So, you know, they go to a class and then maybe they take a break for 10 or 15 minutes. They go to a class and they take a break for 15, 10 or 15 minutes. So, again, it really depends on the student. So when, um, when I see them and, again, based on their physical exam, based on their symptoms and how they're presenting, as well as how far out they are from their brain injury can help yeah. me create a solid plan for them for getting them back to school because sometimes for kids that might be in half days, you know, then you never know, you know, when do we advance to full days? Um, right. You say yeah. when you're symptom-free because some yes. kids don't get symptom-free for several weeks or even several months. And so um, keeping them at half days is might be might not be the best thing for them. So if anything for half days, I'll say maybe maybe a week you do half days and then you have to get to full days, but you take frequent breaks so that you're pacing yourself through the school day, which is so important. Yeah, yeah, not depleting all that energy right away. Um, so, Ronnie, we're getting close to the end of our time, and I want to make sure, um, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to be sure we touched on with Return to Learn? Oh, my goodness. I feel like I could talk for hours on this. I know. <laughs> it's such an oh important topic. No, I know. I know. Well, so one thing is that, um, again, I please, if people have any um, questions or need any further research resources, please don't hesitate to visit our website. Again, it's um, www.chop.edu slash concussion. And then the Brain Steps website is also very, very useful. Um, I think the most important things that I want to make sure that people know is that we want kids back to school. You have to get back. You have to get your student back to school. You have to do work, but the volume of work you do depends on what you can tolerate. And the goal is to build your stamina each and every day. So every day you do a little bit more. So if you read, you know, do one assignment one day, maybe you do one and a half assignments the next day. Or if you read one paragraph, then you read one and a half paragraphs the next day, and you're slowly building up each day. So those are important things. And then also just keeping an open line of communication between the academic staff and your medical staff. Um, it's so important because all of us want these students to succeed, and the best way to do that is by keeping open communication with, between everybody. Yes. Yes, that's very critical, that communication piece. So, Ronnie, thank you so much. This has been such, such good information. And thank you for those websites. I'll be sure to get those in the show notes. Um, and I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and just sharing um, this, this information. I can't thank you enough. This is such an important topic. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. 
And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you have enjoyed today's episode and that you got some great information from Ronnie. Um, And if you're a parent, definitely be sure to check out those websites, um, and I will get those in the show notes for you. And just another thank you to Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you guys all again next time. Have a great day, everyone. Goodbye.